Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We are starting our series called The Six Series. So if you're visiting with us today and you're like, what is going on? It's my first time at Anchor Church, and this is definitely not the topic that I was expecting. You've come on a good Sunday. Come on, this is an exciting Sunday. We get to kick off the sex series, and we are going to be running through this for the next four weeks. Um, in the fourth week, we will have, the end of July, we will have a Q&A, um, and uh, from next week, we will put up um, a number that you can text, and you can text all your questions to, so if you have questions, the final week, I will be taking questions, and, and we will be looking at some of the things, so there's some conversation and discussion that we can have in this series, but ultimately, this is four weeks of us looking at God's design for intimacy. God's purpose in our sexuality and how God wants us to, to handle and how to appropriate this, this powerful part of our lives that He has given us within a healthy context and within the way that God has destined for it to be used and to be appropriated in our lives, to have the correct perspective on sex and to understand the power and the meaning and the purpose behind it that is a part of, of, of God's design. And, uh, and for a lot of people, this is an area of brokenness. This is an area where a lot of people have, have been hurt. In fact, I have seen multiple ministers and people that have been on track with God's calling for their lives be taken completely off of that or being completely derailed in this one area. This is an area that has probably derailed more people than any other. As people find this powerful force in their lives as something that they are unable to, to control or, or to live out in a holy way, and let me tell you, it ruins lives. And so we are believing that God is going to bring restoration and healing to some people throughout this series for those that need it, and that ultimately all of us are going to be able to experience God's best in this area. Can I have, and I don't do this normally, but right at the beginning of the series, can I have an amen to that, right? Amen. That we get to experience God's best, that we will not settle for second best in this area, but that we will look at what God intends for it. And before I go on, let me just also say that I know that whenever you start talking about sex, innuendos abound, all right? I understand that nearly everything that you say once you begin talking about sex can carry a double meaning, all right? And so I, I'm going to ask that if it ha does happen that I say something that can be applied in that way, that we just remain the mature community that we are and that we just power on through those things to not lose sight of the central truth of what is being shared. So for example, if I accidentally say something like, in this series, we're just gonna to touch on a few things, let's just move along and keep it together, Ryan. Can we, do, can we just keep it together as we go through this? But it's gonna be a lot of fun and we're gonna be able to look at some amazing truths throughout this, this series. And, and I, want, I thought I would start off by talking about why. Why do a series on sex? This is not something that you will hear often in church or at all in some churches or in some places, why should we talk about sex and, and why should we do a series on it and, and spend a month discussing it and conversing over it? And, um, and I, I'm aware that 
a lot of churches don't speak on this. I, I, I'm aware that this isn't a topic that you'll hear about often, but as a church and, and as a community, one of our core values is authenticity. It's authenticity. Our number one value is that Jesus is central, that it's all about Jesus. That is the number one thing that brings us together as a church because we believe that in Christ, all of life fits together. But our number two value is that we love people. And we cannot love people and then not talk about the things that are hurting people or the things that are important to people, no matter how much it may make you blush here in church this morning, right? We, we, we can't... We can't say that we care about people's lives and then skip over such a large part of our society and our community and, and something that plays such a big role in our lives. Some may even object to churches and pastors speaking openly about this topic, but as an authentic church, we want to have authentic truth-based conversations here because if we can't talk openly and honestly about it here, where can we? Where would we be able to have these conversations? Where would we be able to converse over these, these topics? I know and you know that we live in a sex-obsessed world. Everything from social media to movies to advertising billboards to discussions around the water cooler. You know who has discussions around the water cooler? Middle management, all right? But even from the water cooler to the boardroom, it's also being discussed to the bride. From the boardroom to the bride, everybody talks about sex. Everybody has opinions. Everybody alludes to it. Everybody um, speaks about this. It is a major topic of discussion. And so we have all and are all consistently daily educated about sex. Hollywood educates us about sex. Netflix educates us about sex. Media, social media educates us about sex. But then when it comes to the church, many people want the church to be silent on the topic. You know what I say to that? I say no, right? You know what we say? We say no. We won't be silent on a subject that matters, that's designed by God, that has a purpose, and that has an important role in our lives. We won't be silent on the subject because the Bible isn't silent on the subject. If the Bible talks about it, we're going to talk about it shamelessly and openly and authentically. And the Bible does talk about the subject all the way through the Old Testament. There's some, there's some stuff you can read on the Old Testament that would literally put any media that you can watch today to shame in terms of the vivid imagery that is used around sex and, and sexual intimacy. And in the New Testament, it often comes up in the epistles and in the different letters as uh, communities of people are addressed. This is not a new issue, and, and it's, it's an area that people have struggled in as well, not only today, not only in our current society, but all the way through history. This is a, a powerful force in our lives that has been something that people have had to contend with and deal with and struggle with in some senses for, for, for as long as people have been alive. So we're all being educated on a daily basis on what sex is and how it should be approached and how it should be practiced. And then at the same time, people want the church to be silent on that subject. Um, but but the, the Bible, it just is, is so open about this. I'm gonna, you know, there's some excerpts from the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon that I could have read yet today. But honestly, I don't know if I'm ready 
to share that level of intimate detail with you. I was like, maybe in week three, right? So I thought I would take one that just kind of illustrates a little bit about what the Bible says about it. And so um, this is from Song of Songs, and this is literally a song or a poem, uh, a description, a lyrical poem written about um, a couple that's married and enjoying sex for the first time, going on their honeymoon, and, and the delight that they find in each other. And I'll just read a little bit, try not to blush, all right? Your lips drip with nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I'm not blushing, you're blushing, all right? If, you, if you're wondering if that is actually referring to sex, it is. It is. If you read on, you would know that it ac actually is. And some of this imagery can seem a little bit strange um, to describe, but it's actually brilliant because the writer here is able to, to depict sex without ever sounding crass. And this is written in a time where society was, it was an agrarian society. They, they, they lived off of the land through agriculture and so and so fertility was displayed in, in kind of these agricultural terms. Uh, we put together just a little video, um, which again, if you didn't know, and we can go ahead and roll that, it would look like an ad for the farmer's market, but ultimately this is the imagery that the scriptures talk about in describing sex and sexual intimacy. And I want you to show that, there, I want you to see that there is an, an emphasis here on it being something to be enjoyed, something to be appreciated. It kind of hots up over here with the milk, but <laughs> the pomegranates and the spices and the grapes. All right, so that's biblical imagery, vivid imagery. In fact, this is so powerful um, that even today, Orthodox Jewish males are forbidden from reading the Song of Songs the book of the Song of Songs, until the age of 30, right? 30 years old, you can't even read that book. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to read it. And, uh, and we will look more at that because it actually has some great keys for us um, regarding marriage, regarding intimacy within marriage, and regarding um, those that are unmarried, uh, not awakening that passion until the time is right. And... Uh, there's something so worthwhile in it, and we'll get to that as we go <clears throat> through the weeks in this series. But, but we can see from this context that, that it's a major topic, and the Bible isn't shy to talk about it. It isn't, isn't shying away from the reality of it. People say often it's not healthy to talk about sex because it's not healthy to think about sex that much, Right? And once we start thinking about it, then it's going to lead us into all kinds of lustful or sinful situations. Can I tell you, that's only if you're still a slave to sin in this area. But we are not slaves to sin. We don't fear, oh, I better not think about it, because if, if I think about it, then I'm going to be overtaken by lust. It's not true. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have been set free by the grace of God, and so now we get to have a healthy relationship with sex. We get to have healthy approaches and perspectives, and we get to have open conversations. 
because we're not ashamed. We're not, we're not slaves of the flesh. The only time when it's unhealthy to think about sex is if you're thinking about sex unhealthily. But that's not what we do, right, church? We have God's vision on these things, and so we can discuss these matters without fear. I'm still talking about why it's important for us to talk about sex and why we've chosen to do this series here at Anchor Church. And let me say unequivocally that it is important for us to talk about this because this one area, as I mentioned before, has ruined countless lives. It has ruined countless lives. Hearts have been broken. Families have been wrecked. Destinies have been derailed because of brokenness stemming from this area of our lives. Brokenness that, that, that gets introduced to us and, and, and is introduced to our society at a younger and younger and younger age. Imagine in an orthodox context of the, the, the Jewish Israelites not, not even being able to read the Song of Songs until the age of 30. Today, kids are having sex by the age of 12. And we get introduced so early to an unhealthy approach to sex the enemy has set the world on a collision course with brokenness by warping our perspective of sex and obscuring God's purpose for sex. It exists on a pendulum. Everything that God has created to be incredibly good has an equal potential to be incredibly bad once it's perverted. And so we know the perversion of sex. We know how, how perverse things can become and how destructive and, and how harmful but the reason why it has such destructive power is simply because it's the pendulum swung to the wrong side. If we take it to the other side, this is the potential that God has put within sex and within sexual intimacy for good, for good. So listen up, church, because this is important. It's important for your life. It's important for your relationships. It's important for your kids and for your future. The title of the message that I want to share with you this morning as the first message in our series on sex is called Supernatural Sex. Wow. Not just sex, but supernatural sex. Some of you are like, I wasn't going to take notes, but now I'm taking notes. Where is my notepad? I'm going to start off looking at Genesis, Genesis 1, verse 31. This is how the creation account, when God creates all things and puts it into motion, puts it into being, He creates, and He ends off by saying this. In Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. He saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. This closing line in the Hebrew language is melodic. It's, it's, it's rhythmic. It's almost, it, it's almost as if God is singing over everything he had just created. That, that's the joy that is in God's heart, looking at creation, looking at, at creation, at the things he had instituted. It causes the heart of God to sing with gladness and with joy. He sings over us. He sings over creation. And, and this is important for us to know because so many of us, because we are so sour-faced, we project our own image onto God and think that He is a stoic, sour-faced, cosmic killjoy who just doesn't want anybody to have fun. That's, that's an image of God that's been portrayed falsely, 
for, for a long time. We think that God created the world to just be this mathematical, logical, just reasoned out, you know, everything is a rule and a formula and a principle and, and you just better listen up and we forget that God is the author of pleasure. He's the author of joy. He's the author of every good thing. That word good in the Hebrew language that it says that God looked at everything and saw it was very good is the, word, is the Hebrew word tov. You might have heard that tov, tov miot, very good. And tov is throughout creation. It's in everything that God has made. When you eat good food, the taste of that food in your mouth is tov. When you, when you smell the air after it has rained, walking through a forest, a, that's tov. When you see a sunset, it's tov. When you hear good music, it's tov. And sex, as a part of God's creation, is tov. It's good. It's something God has created to be pleasing and lovely and beautiful. Something that God has created to be fun. He intended for it to be pleasurable and to be enjoyed. God is not against pleasure, church. He is the creator. He is the author of pleasure. But I love the scripture that says that when God adds wealth to our lives, he adds it and it comes with no sorrow with it. He adds no sorrow to it. So when, 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 when we are able to appropriate all the things that matter, that are so pleasurable, but we do it God's way, we get to experience God's best without the sorrow. But remove God from the equation and remove it from the correct context and the very thing that was meant to be enjoyable becomes destructive. But the central truth here is that creation is a celebration. Creation was a celebration. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God provided things for us to enjoy. John Mark Comer, the author of Loveology and many other books, says, a Genesis-shaped worldview says this world was created by God. He enjoys it, and so should we, and we need to enjoy creation as an act of worship. When we are able to enjoy what God has made in the correct context, it's an act of worship. Richard Foster, who was the, the writer and the author, well-known author and pastor and teacher who wrote uh, the book on the celebration of discipline. He wrote another book um, called The Challenge of the Disciplined Life. And, and in it, Richard Foster says, sex at its best, at its highest, at its holiest is play. Just being able to be free and to enjoy between, between a married couple, a husband and a wife, being able to experience the freedom, this kind of freedom and enjoyment and shamelessness is what God desires for us to have. And so we should resist, we should flee, we should run away from, we should do everything in our power to avoid sex in the wrong context that will rob us from experiencing it in this way that God has intended. It's simply robbing yourself and robbing others. The, the world's experience of sex will always be substandard. It will always be less than. It will always be cheaper than what God has. And it doesn't produce the same 
kind of fulfillment. In fact, it only produces a feeling or a sense of emptiness. I've been a pastor long enough, nearly 15 years now, to have had many, 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 many conversations with people about this area and the brokenness and the hollow emptiness that it creates in people's lives. You are robbing yourself, make no mistake. I remember standing with a young guy um, in a parking lot and, 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 and he started opening up to me and he said, you know what, Adrian, I've been living, and I won't, I won't describe the language he used to describe himself in that moment, but he talked about how rotten his life had become. And he said to me, he said to me, all I've been doing for the last couple of months is going on Tinder, finding a girl, taking her home, sleeping with her, and then never contacting her again. This is how I've been living. For some people, that's a description of living the dream, right? In our world, and according to Netflix, that's the dream. Just multiple partners, as much as you want, just never, no responsibility after the fact. He told me, I've never felt more empty and lonely in my entire life. I've seen this. I've had these conversations. The world's experience of sex will always be substandard. God's first command to us, however, in Genesis 1 verse 28, as God brought Adam and Eve together, as he created Eve for Adam, and there's this, this deep sense of connectedness between them, and, and, and there is nuptial sanctity. There, there are marriage rights here, and God unites them together in this covenant, and it says in 1 verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. This is a command of God. Go out, be fruitful, have sex, multiply, enjoy, fill the earth and subdue it. Turns out Genesis 1.28 is a really fun command to obey. Go out and do this. In, in, in uh, the second chapter of Genesis, verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Covenant. Covenant. Hold fast to his wife. And they shall become... One flesh. One flesh. That's the Hebrew word ekad. One flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. No shame in that covenant. What God truly intended for it to be. A lot of churches, when they talk about sex, it's often sp spoken of in terms of don'ts. Right? That's kind of like the... the, the uh, the church has set itself up as the moral police of sexual activity. And, and when any pastor talks about sex, what you hear is don't sleep around, don't, don't view porn, don't have sex before marriage. And, and all of this is true, and it's important for you to know those things. But the scriptures don't start with a don't. They start with a positive. They start with the beauty and the intention. And I believe that, that God's value of sex is so much greater because of his value on you than the world's value of sex. The world has cheapened it. God values these things, and, and the higher our value of the importance and the role of sexual intimacy in our lives, the more responsibly we will handle it. If you treat it as precious, as something to be treasured, as opposed to treating it with the commonplace that the world does. If you've seen my wife, and she's sitting in the front here this morning, so I'm going to make her blush a little bit as well, you'll know that it's only by God's grace and by some really strict elders and pastors 
that we're speaking into our situation that we did not have sex before marriage. But let me tell you that there is nothing like for all the single people here today, all the unmarried people, even the people that perhaps are dating and having sex, let me tell you, you're missing out. Because there is nothing as great as being able to have that kind of fellowship and intimacy with somebody that you're in a covenant with and experience absolutely zero shame and zero guilt and zero brokenness as a result. In fact, it's worship. I tell my wife this. I say, baby, let's worship, you know? <laughs> you're robbing yourself. I promise you, you're robbing yourself. There's nothing like experiencing the shamelessness. They were both naked and unashamed. The world, however, because it is trying to suppress a deep knowing of shame and sense of shame within them, every person that has sex outside of marriage or outside of God's context knows within them they can lie to themselves, they can lie to their friends, but deep down everybody knows it's not quite right. And so as an attempt to suppress that sense of shame, the world tries to normalize extramarital sex and premarital sex. No, no, this, no, it's fine, guys. Hey, guys, you're fine with this? Hey, it's like, it's like two people stealing and then telling each other it's okay. No, we're just, we're just borrowing permanently. You know, we just, it's fine. They don't need this. It's just, you're convincing. And this is what the world has done. Everybody's just telling each other, it's fine, it's fine. Why do we feel so bad? No, 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 it's fine. Don't feel bad, you're fine but we know it's not fine. We know inherently within us that we are robbing ourselves of, of, of something that's, that's so much truer. And so this process of normalizing and, and declaring so-called sexual freedom, so-called, is simply an attempt to do away with an inner sense of shame. If I ask you the question today, who is having the best sex? Don't put up your hand. Okay, don't put up your hand. <laughs> Who's having the best sex? You know what, 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 what image comes up in our minds, and this has been created by Hollywood and Netflix and series and all the things that we watch? We would say best sex is being had by the people that are young and beautiful and single and talented, and they just go out there, and they find other young, beautiful people, and they're just like multiple partners, and they're just living the dream, right? That's what's been portrayed. But studies have been done on this. Do you know that that category of people consistently reports the lowest sense of sexual satisfaction and fulfillment? They're absolutely rocked by the sense of emptiness, can I tell you in those reports which category of people reported to have the highest levels of sexual fulfillment? You're not going to believe this. Middle-aged people that have been married for 10 or 15 years that have some kids and just are enjoying a journey of intimacy, shamelessness, sexual connection with one another where sex is not about what I can get for myself, a sense of self-gratification, but it's about serving one another in, in, in a loving and consistent relationship. Those are the people 
statistically reporting the highest levels of satisfaction. In other words, it doesn't look like a Hollywood couple out on a town. It, it looks something more like a couple married 10, 15 years out celebrating their, uni- their, their not their university, their anniversary. <laughs> There's some things I could say. I'm going to leave it right there. Um, where sex is connected to loving another in the context of a lifelong commitment rather than serving self in a wash of selfishness, insecurity, and shame. That's not what God has for us. Within the context of marriage, sex is worship. It's supernatural. It's enjoying God's design and purpose. It's not an evil curse that has to be curbed and denied. It's a good gift that we get to enjoy as long as it's in the right context. And, and I've used this analogy so many times, but it's, it's like a fire. We've got, we've got fire here this morning, and the fire is great as long as it's inside of that glass tube. It's produ- producing heat, and it's beautiful to look at, and it's great to have here in, on a winter's morning here at Anchor Church. But if we took that fire out of there, and let's say we put it on this banner and on this car, it, it, it'll destroy It's the same with something powerful in the right context. It produces beauty, and it is is helpful. It is beneficial, but out of that context, it can become destructive. One of the ways that the world has skewed our perception of sex, and this is an ancient idea, and, and many of the philosophies we grapple with in our modern world are not new ideas. Uh, We totally, you don't know history if you think these are new ideas. They're just perhaps wearing modern clothes. And one of the current philosophies that we struggle with, which is an ancient philosophy, actually, that was first written about by guys like Plato and Aristotle at at one point, um, where they wrote about this concept of dualism. Plato, in fact, was so strong on the idea of dualism that he said that the body is a prison that simply uh, houses the soul. It's like something the soul has to break free from. In essence, dualism is the separation of what is physical and what is spiritual. To say that some things are just physical and other things are spiritual. That's dualism and it's false. God created us. He is a spiritual God and and God has created certain things as purely physical. For example, animals. Animals are pure physicality without a spirit. He has created some things as purely spiritual. For example, angels are completely made, they're completely spiritual beings without a physical presence. But when God created man, when he created Adam, the Bible says Adam is the Hebrew word Adamah, which means from the dust, from the earth. God shaped and fashioned man from the physical earth, but then breathed his spirit, his ruach, into man's nostrils, into Adam's nostrils. And it says man became a living being, not just biological life, but spiritual life. And so we as people are not just physical. We're not just spiritual. We're a hybrid of both. We interact with both the physical and the spiritual world, and both have consequences going both ways. There is no separation between the two. And so we cannot relegate certain things as just being physical. It's just chemistry. It's just physiological. It's just biological because sex itself is deeply spiritual. It's deeply spiritual. When God created Adam and Eve, he brought Eve to Adam. 
And Adam looked at her and he realized this deep sense of connection. He said, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And it says in 2 verse 24, we read, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is what happens spiritually. One flesh, ekad. Which essentially, that word ekad means to be fused together at the deepest level. It's a mingling of souls. And what it means is that when we have sexual intimacy with the person, that ultimately how God has designed it is that the two become one and are from that point onwards indivisible. This is, this is a nuclear force. This is something more powerful than what we can imagine. And it's not something that we should take lightly in terms of our sexual lives. To God, the only relationship strong enough to hold, to contain, the only container that has the ability to hold this kind of untamed, fierce, nuclear power is marriage. It's only covenant, lifelong commitment that is able to hold this powerful spiritual act in a healthy place. Anything else is destructive. First Corinthians, and I'm going to come in and land here with just something that Paul says in, in First Corinthians. And in, in chapter 6, he really addresses the church about sex. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That when you put your faith in Jesus, not just your spirit, but your body itself has become one with Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, Christ and make them members, unite them, become a card with a prostitute? And there's a lot of context there in Corinth why he specifically used a prostitute. Some of you are thinking, okay, I'm good. I've never been with a prostitute, so I'm okay. But he actually talks about uh, porneia, which is the, the Greek word for sexual immorality, which involves anything outside of the covenant of marriage. Shall I take the, my body that belongs to Christ and, 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 and unite it with a prostitute in immorality? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, not just physical, not just physical, spiritual. For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Paul here quotes Genesis 2 that we've just read, chapter, verse 24, the two shall become Eckhart. Interestingly, Corinth was near Athens, and Athens was the birthplace of dualism. These were the original philosophers that wrote about dualism, and in Corinth, that philosophy seeped into the church. The philosophy that, don't worry man, some things are just, are just physical. And so they had certain sayings that they would say in the city of Corinth that was, that was that brought about by this influence of dualism in their lives. And it was stuff like, you know what? Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. It's, it's natural. We have needs. By the way, if you don't have sex, single people, you won't die, right? Stop calling it a need, okay? Water is a need. Air is a need. You need those. You'll die if you don't have them, okay? Food is a need. Sex, you'll live. You will live. But they said, you know, 
food is for the body and the, and, and the body is for food. They said all things are permissible. All things are allowed. And Paul addresses them on this directly, this kind of thinking, because what the Corinth church was saying, or the church in Corinth was saying, hey, it's just physical. I have a stomach, and when I get hungry, I eat. I have sex organs, and when I want to have sex, I'll just go to a prostitute. What's the big deal? It's biological, nothing more. So Paul answers in 1 Corinthians 6.13, and this is what he says. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. He's quoting them there. And God will destroy both one and the other. He's like, there's a higher power than your physical needs. The body is not meant for porneia, sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God has a higher value on your body, on your sexuality, and on your relationships. This is where the pendulum can so easily move to the wrong side when rather than understanding the beauty and the spiritual depth uh, and God's heart and intention behind intimacy, we relegate it to something so, so just physical. And what happens in essence, and we'll talk more about this as we go on in this series, is that we begin to worship the gift rather than God. We turn the gift into God. We begin to, to find our significance and our worth and our value in the gift, our fulfillment in the gift. If you're finding your fulfillment in sex, you're finding it in the wrong place. Jesus is the one who fulfills us. Our significance is in Him. And when we find our worth and our value in Him, we're able to put sex in its correct place. We've said that these kinds of things, they're, they're, they're great servants serving God's purpose, but horrible masters. If you worship sex like most of the world does, you'll find yourself a slave to a destructive force in your life. Sex becomes dehumanizing and destructive and can turn men and women into objects for self-gratification. So God's view of, of, of sex is actually so much higher. It's not just physical. It involves all of you. And you do not belong to yourself. If your faith is, and this is where it gets real, because people are like, I can be a Christian if Christian means attending church every now and again. I can be a Christian if Christian means that every now and again I pray or I say I believe in something. But this is where it gets real. Do you really believe? Are you truly a Christian? Have you put your faith in Jesus and in how he is our everything and fulfills us? Are you worshiping him or are you worshiping yourself? Now it gets real. This is why we don't want to talk about these topics. What are you worshiping? Because the scriptures say that you don't belong to yourself. God has bought you at a price. In our world today, we have another saying, um, and, it, and, it, and it's in different contexts, it's used differently, but, but ultimately what our world currently says is, my body, my rules. Have you heard that? This is my body. You can't tell me church. You can't tell me pastor. You can't tell me how much to use my body. It's my body. I'll use it however I please. First of all, that's rubbish. Because, you know, even when legislation and laws are produced, people say, well, the, the government can't tell me how to use my... If, can I walk in here and just punch one of you in the face? No, you'll have me arrested for assault, right? The law determines I'm not allowed to use my body that way. Could I walk in here and, and just decide, you know what, today I'm preaching naked. I'm getting undressed. I just need to feel the breeze and, and the anointing. 
and so I'm preaching naked. No, I'll be arrested for indecent exposure, public indecency, and thrown in prison. So the law has always been able to regulate how we use our bodies. But more than that, your body doesn't belong to you. As a believer, your body is not your own. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18. It says, flee, flee, run for your life from sexual immorality. Run for your life. When Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph in the Old Testament and tried to seduce him and get him into her bed. Told you, the Bible's real. It says that he, he left his coat behind and he ran. Guys, next time, the girl, you run. <laughs> Leave your clothes behind, it's fine, you'll get some more. Just run. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The Bible says we cause war to be waged within our members. The tension of shame and knowing this is not what I was created for. It's real. Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Again, the context here in Corinth was one of the main centers of human trafficking and the slave trade, literally situated between two ports on this isthmus that connected the mainland from, from, from the rest of that area and, and, and how this main area was used as a post for slave trade and human trafficking. And the imagery that is conjured up here would have been something that the church in Corinth would have known so well. It's essentially speaking about somebody who goes to the slave market, a man who goes and buys a female slave and sets her free and marries her and devotes his life to loving her. That's, that's the image there. You've been bought. You've been redeemed with a price. And God has set you free. So honor the value that God has placed on your life in paying a price for you. Don't cheapen yourself. Don't sell yourself short. Make any change that you need to make to honor your own value and the value that God has placed on you. Essentially what it's saying is if this great lover of our souls has set us free from sexual slavery, why would we ever be or choose to be unfaithful to him? He loves us. He loves us. He is committed to us. He has set us free. Glorify God in your body. Put a higher value on your relationship with God, a higher value on sex, and don't settle for anything less because that's God's design. It's not just physical, but it is a life-giving relationship coming together of two people that is nothing short of supernatural. Supernatural. And we want God's best for your life, for every relationship for every relationship. And we're willing to go on a journey with you to find healing and wholeness in this area. 
We have pastors, we have counselors, we have people that can walk with you. Guys, there are men's groups that can help you stay accountable. Sometimes you just need somebody looking over your shoulder to say, hey, everything's still cool in this area? And just that can be enough of a deterrent. But when we stand together, we are able to overcome, in the grace of God, this kind of, of, of temptation that we face. Such a powerful force. So, to conclude this morning, as the church, representing God's view and design, we are not against sex. Sex is not evil. It is tov. It's the kind of thing that makes you step back and, 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 and just be overwhelmed by the beauty of what God has created. But we're also not going to cheapen it. And we want God's best for your life, that you can experience it in that way. And I want to encourage those that are not married here today to think about your sexual life, to think about whether or not you're truly honoring God or whether you're saying one thing and living another thing, which is simply lack of integrity, and make the difficult decisions that you need to make in order to honor God in this area. For married couples, it seems like the unmarried couples, the issue is that they're having sex, and the married couples, it's that you're not. And so we're going to speak into that as well. It plays a vital role of the mingling of souls, of, of remaining in orbit with one another. And as we go forward in this series, we're going to, to talk about sex within the context of marriage and why it's so important and why we want healthy relationships for all of us. Amen? Start and end with an amen this morning with a lot of real discussion in between. So we love you, and uh, I hope this is something that is encouraging you and that's giving you perspective. Let's not be fooled by what the world says about this area, but let's hold out for God's best.